Hi, this is Kelsey Cooper, and I'm the host for Disabled Birth Stories podcast. I hope those in the disabled community can enjoy these stories of bringing beautiful babies into the world and the journey along the way. I hope this podcast helps you feel seen, heard, empowered, and capable, no matter your journey to being a parent. I hope those who are able-bodied would listen to empathize with and support their disabled family member, friend, acquaintance, or random stranger. Thank you for listening and feel free to email me if you have any questions or would like to be featured on the podcast at disabledbirthstories at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us today. After listening to this episode, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please also check the description for our social media links and the link to our merch store. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please consult your medical providers for all of your healthcare needs. Also, the views and opinions expressed by the guests are not necessarily the views and opinions of the host and vice versa. Hi, this is Kelsey Cooper, and I'm here with Gabby, and she's going to tell us her story today. Gabby, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Gabby. I am a single mom by choice, and I have a two-year-old daughter named Giovanna. I'm a social worker by training and psychotherapist. I have my own private practice where I do psychotherapy and consultation, and I specialize in perinatal mental health. And I'm also a practice leader for social work and other psychosocial disciplines at a pediatric rehab facility. And your story is a little unique in that you are a single parent by choice. Can you, as much as you feel led to share about that decision? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's now gaining more, I wouldn't say popularity, but I think it's becoming more of a popular choice. I wouldn't say so much in the disability population, but more so in the uh, non-disabled population. But becoming a single parent by choice is when you consciously just try to become a parent, knowing that you do not have a partner. And that looks different for everyone. So that some people decide to be foster parents, some people adopt, some people use a known donor and they become pregnant, some people use a surrogate. And some people go through a sperm bank, which is what I did. I went through a sperm bank online, and it's actually an American sperm bank that ships to Canada. So that is how I became pregnant in January 2021. And can you tell us just what kind of disability you have and how it affects you? And was that in question when deciding to become pregnant? So I started my thinking about becoming pregnant journey in 2018. So I do use the power chair to get around. I have a congenital muscle disorder. So I have basically hypotonia, which is a muscle weakness all over my body. I am able to stand like transfer, but I'm not able to walk long distances. I can't walk unless there's like a walker or something to hang on to. So very minimal steps. I drive, I have an adaptive vehicle here. And so in terms of my disability, some of the concerns were, I know you guys can't see me, but I am like pretty short. I do have scoliosis. So I do have rods in my back that were fixed um, probably in 2003. They're not managing very well. So there was a concern about my added weight gain and how the pregnancy might affect the rods in my back and affect my scoliosis. I also have an issue with my hips where one hip is like typically formed and then the other hip is a bit smaller and lower due to my scoliosis and hypotonia. So there was a concern about discomfort and 
obviously the concern about delivery as well. So I spent a few years just trying to explore, again, genetically, if I should be concerned about anything, because I did have some questions around my diagnosis at that time. And then also even respiratory. So would I be, would my breathing be affected if I became pregnant? So just further exploring those options. And then the standard typical things that you need to explore around fertility, so AMH levels, and in terms of how much time I had. I actually was planning to wait until I was this age to become pregnant, which I'm now 35, but my fertility doctor encouraged me to start earlier, and so I became pregnant at 33. So you went through a sperm donor. What was it like to find a clinic, and what did they think of the disability? So first I went to my nurse practitioner, and I didn't actually do IVF, but that was going to be the next step in my journey. So first I went to my nurse practitioner and told her about what my plan was, and she referred me to a hospital here that had the fertility clinic attached to it, and I was able to be seen there. I definitely asked them, have you sent other clients with disabilities here before? How did they approach disability? What are they like? Because I didn't want A, judgment because I was disabled, and then B, judgment because I didn't have a partner. So I was like a bit worried about both of those things. Yeah, so that was my first exploration of it. Getting pregnant in January was my third attempt at IUI. So I just did a non-medicated IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. I call it sex with science, but I'm sure that's not an appropriate term. That's what I call it. And what happened was I didn't get pregnant the first time I did it. I didn't get pregnant the second time and third time. My doctor said, okay, well, your name is coming up on the IVF waiting list. So this is like going to be your third and final time. And maybe you should just wait until you can do IVF. And I said, okay. And then I became pregnant. We decided to go through a non-medicated IUI. So this means that I didn't get any medication to increase my ovulation at all. So it was all natural. It was sort of like times. So they would follow my ovulation and then I would get inseminated at the right time, which isn't an actual science I learned. And so the third time's the charm and I got pregnant. But I know the average, it takes six IUIs to, to actually be successful on average if you're going to be. But my age and combination. What was the process after the IUI? Did it go on as a typical pregnancy would? Or were there steps to be taken after? Well, initially, I was sure I would stay pregnant because my levels were quite low. And they need to like double within, you know, every two days. And so... I wasn't sure I would stay pregnant, but then once we kind of reached that six-week mark where the fertility clinic discharged you, I was able to be seen at what we have here at one of our hospitals in Toronto, an accessible care clinic through uh, Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. And it is a obstetrician and nurse practitioner who specialize in caring for patients who have mobility needs and other disabilities when they become pregnant. So I got to be seen there early in my pregnancy, as opposed to sometimes when you're seeing an OB, it's a bit later on in your pregnancy. So they were able to follow me from like an ongoing basis from that point. So it was really great because I knew that they specialize in disability and I didn't have to feel like I was going to be judged. And I also went there for preconception counseling. So even before I got pregnant, just to figure out what they could offer me and how they could help me. And so once I became pregnant, I just went directly there. And you said that you used a regular OBGYN or did you have to see an MFM or anything like that? 
actually my doctor was a high risk OB who specializes in disability, like created this clinic to work with people with disabilities. So when I say my pregnancy was high risk in a typical like sense, it was more just couldn't become high risk at any moment kind of sense. But I was able to see them quite regularly because I had an anterior placenta. It was really hard for me to feel the baby move. So I had a lot of anxiety around the baby and making sure that she was okay. So I was seen like every week and I think I had an ultrasound like every other week and then it became every week like rather quickly just to make sure that the baby was doing okay. And of course, you know, when you're disabled and you're pregnant, everything seemed like all the typical dis- pregnancy symptoms seemed to be a little bit like worse. Like my swollen legs were really swollen. And it was very hard to transfer and the skin was stretching and I was like incredibly itchy. They were worried maybe something was wrong with my liver, but thankfully it wasn't. It was just the fact that my legs had gotten increasingly swollen, which is very common in pregnancy. It was just that they got a little bit exaggerated when you don't walk around. <laughs> so it was quite worse. So like those things, I never had morning sickness. I never threw up and I, went, I had no issues breathing. I always felt like I could breathe okay. Which I know that sometimes that's a big struggle for people with scoliosis and those who have like limited trunk space. But I thought overall it was a good pregnancy. And beyond the extra scans, did they do anything special as far as treatment for you? No, I wouldn't say so. I would say more like planning for delivery. You're able to plan a bit more around the delivery, when it would happen, what it would look like. Who would be there, the different specialists that needed to be there. We had a case conference a few weeks before, which was good. But I don't, I mean, I did have an early anatomy scan, but that wasn't because of my disability. That was because my first trimester screening came back like positive. So they just wanted to just make sure. So they did an early anatomy scan and then an extra, like the anatomy scan at the regular time. But besides that, everything was pretty standard. What was your plan for? Delivery toward the end, how did things go? So my due date was October 6th, but we decided that we would plan the C-section for September 15th. So I was 37 weeks along. She was growing really well and they weren't really concerned about like her size. We planned the scheduled C-section because of my scoliosis. I couldn't have an epidural. So I'd have to be put to sleep under general anesthesia, which Honestly, if I can say anything, it's that I wish I was awake and I wish, you know, it didn't take me so long to see the baby. I mean, she was with my sister and my friend at the time, but that piece, that separation piece would probably be the only thing I would change. And it was really hard for me. I think that that's the part that I think about the most, even now, she's two years old and I spend lots of time with her. And I still think about those first, you know, few hours where I wasn't with her. And it was like pretty much the entire day that day after she was born until like 4.30 at night. And I and I think that that's one thing that I wish could have been different. And the general anesthesia, I mean, once you're asleep, then you wake up and the baby's out and you don't really have much kind of memory at that point, like what happened in between then usually. So... I would say that it went overall like quite smooth. It did take them quite a long time to put me to sleep. So I was lying on the table for a while. I have terrible veins, okay, Kelsey? They're like the worst veins ever. 
like everybody runs screening. They have to get like the head specialist of the head specialist of IVs to give me anything. So that came across really loudly when they were trying to put me to sleep and were not able to access any of my things. So that part was really stressful, just the waiting and the anticipation of being put under and then having to, you know, just want to meet your baby. Right. And then again, like not being able to do skin to skin right away and having to wait until they allowed me to leave this recovery area where the baby could not come. So those are kind of parts that I, I think I wish were different. But overall, everybody was treated me really kindly. And when I did get to see her and be with her, you know, they really encouraged like skin to skin and all those other pieces for sure. And is there any differences as far as you know with the maternity system from the U.S. to Canada? Besides our maternity leave? Really, I don't know how you all do it. I stayed home for a year and had a hard time going back to Six weeks, I was like in a different world. Well, I could have functioned, but I, I'm not sure about any other like differences from the delivery standpoint. I don't know. Maybe if you heard anything from my story, that sounds different from what would happen there because I'm not that familiar with the system in America in terms of their delivery. Just the maternity leave is quite significantly different. And I'm sure like there's differences if. You know, you're on some kind of government funding. Like here, um, I'm on something called direct funding, which is where the government gives me money to hire my own attendants. So personal PCA, I think you guys sometimes call them, or personal care assistants. And so the government will give me the money and I get to hire who I want. So that is really helpful. But one of the struggles I've had since having a baby is actually like locating staff. And trying to find people who, like, you either find a nanny who's like, sure, I'll help you take care of your baby. Or you find the PSW who's like, sure, I'll help take care of you and help you, you know, do the things that you need. And it's like, wait, I need, like, a combination. Like, it's so hard to separate me from her, right? Because what we call, like, I need nurturing assistance support. So what that means here is, like, basically someone who's my hands who can help me do things with the baby, but they're not like watching the baby without me. I'm there, right? So it's like this whole other side of it when you're trying to find the staff. So I have the funding, but finding the staff have been very challenging. Challenges I had not experienced until I had her. And as far as you remember for the birth and the delivery and your time in the hospital, did staff treat you well? Did it go as expected as far as them treating you the way you expected? You know, I think that's such a great question. I also think that because I was a social worker, I had planned, and it was also during kind of like a COVID wave, because there was a lot of restrictions about visitors at that time, but I had advocated to have an emotional support person, so like a friend or a family member stay with me, and then having like shifts, and then I advocated for like an attendant to, to be there with me. So I successfully advocated for that and had to get permission from the manager of the unit. And I think overall, because I had other help, the nurses kind of were just like off. I'm like, all right, well, you have health and you seem to know what you're doing. And um, I did work in perinatal in the hospital before. So uh, I kind of knew a lot of the basics. I knew exactly what was going to happen and the hearing test and that. You have to actually wake up your baby every couple hours to feed the baby because the baby's not going to wake up on their own and, you know, what to look out for and 
the skin to skin pieces and um, you know i knew about the jaundice test like i kind of knew about all the stages that happened in the in like the 24 to 48 hour mark and the weight checks and so i cut the pediatrician coming by there's all these pieces that i was very acutely aware that were going to happen and they all did and so you know i i didn't get many questions i do think that they did have a face sheet on my chart that said you know occupation perinatal social worker very familiar with resources in the community as thought support like i think that that was all in there but i have heard a lot of you know people's experiences where staff have been quite judgmental or you know if they ask a nurse to help it's kind of judged it's like well what are you going to do when you get home when i know that there's parents without disability who ask the nurses to do a lot of things that and they're not being encouraged to try things on their own because how are they going to manage? So there's this like kind of unrealistic expectation. And a lot of my work now and previous had been to educate nurses and really bring light to the fact that parents with disabilities may need help just like all parents do. And it seems to be much more critiqued and under the spotlight if a parent with a disability asks for help or says that they're struggling and really encouraging people, all people to like check their bias, whether you're the social worker, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse or someone, you know, a friend, like checking your own biases and assumptions. You know, why am I, why am I quick to judge this mother or this father? Is it because I'm assuming that they can't do it? And now that they're telling me that they need help, they're proving that my bias that they're not able to do it. So I didn't have that experience, but I know a lot of people have and continue to have those experiences in hospital staff. And once you were home, you talked a little bit about finding support staff and things like that, but what was coming home and taking care of her like? She is, was, like the cutest thing ever. I feel like I was much more prepared because of how much work I did with a perinatal population about how tired I would be and... You know, I, how many times I have to wake up? Like I was not in any kind of sort of denial that I would ever sleep again. And I still haven't slept. One thing though, I feel like could have been better is probably the breastfeeding piece, which I know is really common with people with disabilities. It's just like my hands don't work like other people's hands. I can't do the football balls. I'm worried I'm going to drop her. I feel like she's uncomfortable, you know, and there are all these positions that I felt like I just couldn't master. And they gave the baby formula while I was still in the recovery. So I also felt quite discouraged about, about that piece. I felt like she had gotten the bottle. It was so easy. Why would she want to breastfeed? And it was just really hard. And pumping was just not for me. Even holding the pumps, you know, to pump milk. I, it, I was exhausted just doing that. So I feel like things would have gone better if I followed my own advice. I had a feeling I needed like a nipple shield. I'm not sure if you know what that is, but it's like, you know, a piece of plastic for those who don't know. It covers your nipple and it kind of resembles like a bottle and it's easier for the baby to latch. I knew I needed one. I was told I didn't by many lactation consultants. I tried it three weeks in, too late for my mouth to come in, but she latched like immediately. And I still kind of think about that too. Like, I should have just tried it when I brought her home. And I didn't get a lot of milk. And I think in my family, we're not really big on breastfeeding. My mother never breastfed. My sisters never breastfed. But I really wanted to do it. But instead of being told, 
you know, like a lot of people say, well, I got a lot of pressure to breastfeed and it was really hard. I got a lot of pressure to formula feed. Like it's just easier. Other people can help you. I don't know why you have to make it even harder on yourself. So it's really interesting and different kind of conversations that happen when you're disabled. There's people trying to take that stuff away from you. I struggle with that still. Like I wish I tried harder. And I wish I followed my gut because I know I also knew a lot about breastfeeding, having been working with lactation consultants for many years and also having a postpartum doula certificate as well. So I, I, I was like, I should know better. I should just do this and it'll make my life easier. But I didn't. And I've heard that a lot of people are discouraged for using nipple shields for long periods of time. So if you, if you start using one, they're like, well, just use it for a few days because you don't want to confuse them or whatever the reason. I don't really know the reason, but is there harm to using one as far as you know? No, it's just because it's easier to latch with a nipple shield and a nipple on a bottle, it'll be harder that your, your real nipple like will never be as plasticky and as formed as a nipple shield is. And so the idea is like, okay, but don't use it all the time because you want the baby to get used to like what a, what a nipple on a breast feels like. But the reality is who cares if you used it the entire breastfed. I had a friend who doesn't have any disability. She used it for like 10 months that she breastfed her son. I'm going to get it. The lactation consultant confirmed that and she used it and used it every day multiple times a day and her son breastfed for 10 months it doesn't stop your milk supply it doesn't i mean as far as i know i'm also not a lactate consultant but there are definitely different schools of thoughts and i think you could ask you know a whole room and they would tell you different things but i think if it's working for you like your baby's gaining weight you're able to breastfeed and breastfeeding is something you want okay to do it right like you know so i'm like i don't see the problem there it's a piece of flattery <laughs> you know but yeah it's just so funny just like you know everyone's like oh people get made to feel bad because they're not breastfeeding and yes a lot of people too and me it was like the exact opposite it's like why are you even bothering with this you could just formula feed i, I still feel like i could have tried a little harder or listen to my gut so I guess coming to the end, what are some things that you would give advice to others uh, that are going through this journey or someone who is going through a single parent journey? Some advice that I would give would be to, well, prior to becoming pregnant, regardless of how you're going to become pregnant or become a parent, is really looking at your support network. And if it's not like informal supports that you have, what kind of formalized supports can you have? And maybe it's like even as simple as like joining groups online, if that's something that you feel is helpful, it's not always helpful for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, connecting with a therapist can also be helpful for people who are struggling with anxiety or depression, you know, pre-pregnancy, trying to have a plan about what, how you're going to cope during pregnancy and postpartum is a good idea. And really for a single parent by choice, you have to be okay with the decision. You're basically having a baby with a stranger on purpose. It's something that you have to be okay with that. And people, I think, especially having a disability are, can be quite judgmental. I think they would be judgmental even if I had a partner at times, but it's almost I don't want to seem worse, but it almost seems like a different kind of judgmental because it's like, 
well, I didn't just get pregnant. I did all this work and spent all this money to get pregnant. And now I'm a parent. And it's like, I made this decision on my own. And that not, can't be a good decision for you because I've just made my life harder. And I think that, that was a message I got a lot growing up, even like from my, my parents was, don't make your life harder by having children. And my dad passed away in 2017, so he never got to meet my daughter. But my mom, you know, thank goodness, um, is still alive. And she loves my daughter so much. And it's like, you know, those conversations never happen. But it's almost this idea, like, our lives are so hard. And we're just going to complicate it. And sure, children do add a layer of complexity to your life. But they also add a layer of beauty. And I think a lot of the challenges that parents with disabilities have is the system that we have to live within that makes it so difficult that puts up all these barriers to become parents and then while you are a parent navigating the system like even like simple things like birthday parties like oh my goodness like people have a birthday party in their house I'm not going to be able to go like I cannot walk up people's stairs you're like that's so silly but it's like these are the things I think about right like if my daughter wants to go be a hockey player well, a lot of arenas are not accessible. So like I'm never going to be able to go there. Like these are just things that I think about sometimes. And even like finding staff. It's like I spent the majority of my postpartum period. And now it's like a cloud that follows me. It's like transitioning to parenthood, becoming a mother for me, I feel like went really well. But it's all this other stuff I can't control. That is the thing that makes me the most worried and I and I feel like in terms of advice it's like just accept the fact that you're not going to be able to have everything planned out you can hire a whole bunch of staff before you have a baby and then they all quit what are you going to do right like it's really about coming up with plan A plan B plan C plan D as much as possible but there's so many things you just can't control whether it's the system or you know the people around you can't control other people and you can't control what's going to happen in a pregnancy or afterwards you can just kind of kind of live in the moment as much as possible plan for what you can you made me think of one more question as far as like accessibility i know that your clinic was specific to disabilities but how accessible was the clinic as far as getting around and participating in your prenatal appointments and being able to go to those i feel like it was accessible for me but, you know, anything can be improved. Like, do I think it's accessible for everyone? No. they. I don't use a Hoyer lift, but they do have access to a Hoyer lift. Um, they were able to weigh me. They had an accessible scale. Uh, the ultrasound tech, I had the same person usually every week who was lovely and didn't pressure me to get in any kind of certain position. And so that was nice to just feel like I didn't have to perform or like, well, you have to, you can only do this ultrasound in this way. Like, they were very much like, you just get comfortable and we'll figure out when the baby is. Like, it was very relaxed. And I even the anatomy scan, which I hear from people without disabilities, can be very stressful. I was worried, but I wasn't worried because of the position. So it was one of those things, like, they just wanted me to be as comfortable as possible. And I, I really appreciated that. And sometimes I feel like, yes, we want the environment to be accessible physically, but sometimes it's like even in an accessible environment, if the attitudes are not okay or they're not positive, or, and I don't mean fake positive, but if they're not encouraging or supportive, 
it doesn't matter if you're not the best space ever and a negative attitude or someone's judgmental attitude can really affect how you perceive the treatment that you're getting. And so, you know, sometimes I would appreciate a more positive, like we can figure it out attitude in this inaccessible space than a, a perfectly accessible space with somebody who's very judgmental. It's hard to fix that. If you're working with someone who wants to problem solve with you, well, that's easy, right? Like, we'll figure it out. So I kind of always take that approach with my clients as well. It's like, you know, yes, we want a great environment, of course. And we also want people to like not be judgmental and to treat us with respect and dignity and allow us to make our own decisions and, um, and not think less of us if we say that we need help. So really shifting that perspective. I think that that's all for this, but we're going to come back and she's going to tell us about her social work and the perinatal work she does. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for coming on, Gabby. Thank you for listening and feel free to email me if you have any questions or would like to be featured on the podcast at disabledbirthstories at gmail.com. Thank you.